0: Welcome to another episode
1: of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the Attitude Era of WWE 20 years later. I'm your host, Aaron Benoit, joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. A somber and respectful hello. And uh, experiencing this all for the first time, Eric Silver.
2: Uh, Not that happy to be here today, Um, but our podcast, I don't know, our episodes are as long as like a hot yoga class. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Uh, we we made jokes in the past
1: about kind of uh, when we're watching a bad pay-per-view or a, a particularly tedious amount of Raws or a particular uh, dog wrestling movie, how much we hate doing the homework. But um, I think I speak for everyone here saying the homework for this one was like one gut punch after another.
0: Oof. Yeah, this was rough.
2: Yeah, I um I did a lot of ugly crying.
0: Um, You're not alone, both uh, on screen and off.
2: Oh my god! Right? No, seriously. Like I was, I was like, you know, if I ever want to be an actor and I need to like get in that place, get in that zone to squeeze out a tear, uh, you know, there's a few uh, interviews I can probably go back to from from uh, the tribute to Owen Wilson. uh, Oh, not Owen Wilson. The tribute to Owen Hart uh, that will would probably get me there. Although, if someone was going to play him
1: in a movie, like
0: Ryan right? Wilson's, a same good nose. choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, same nose. Yeah, um, it's no, um, it's no exaggeration to say that wrestling this um, this pursuit that we love and cherish uh, has a premature death problem. Just a week before the backlash pay per view. Someone who we saw early on in the rise of DX, Rick Rude, died of an accidental overdose. Um, and these are the stories that we most commonly associate with wrestling. Uh, the, the schedule is so long. There's no break. There's no off-season. The guys resort to medicating in order to get through, and eventually their bodies just give out. Um, so when we say wrestling killed Rick Rude, when we say wrestling killed Brian Pillman, that's what we're talking about. But there's one story in particular where we can say that wrestling directly resulted in someone's death. Um, and it's probably the most tragic and, and the biggest black mark on, well, I won't say that because we'll be talking about something later on. But one of the biggest black marks on the industry is the death of Owen Hart. So we start looking at um, the Sunday Night Heat before the Survivor Series Deadly Game Tournament. Where a match between Gangrel and Steve Blackman takes place. At the end of the match, Gangrel gets the pin. He gets it, and Steve Blackman gets attacked by um, a number of the members of the Brood. At which point, the Blue Blazer begins lowering from the ceiling. Uh, we've talked about the Blue Blazer in the past before. It was Owen's original gimmick coming into WWF. Um, and it was something that has been kind of gone back to that well multiple times.
0: So the the thing to sort of know about the gimmick and some context here that's important, uh, you know, obviously at this time, we're seeing an edgier attitude product that's like being produced. We see some, you know, a lot of more sexual storylines, obviously, um, just like a sprinkling of a cult. Um, you may have picked up on like a light flavor of a cult lately, uh, but... Owen, a very traditional guy, by any explanation by anyone who speaks of him at all, which we will hear a lot um, throughout and talk a lot about this episode, a family man through and through, very committed to his wife and children, was uncomfortable with with the direction of some of the creative happening. Um, Around this time, there's some ideas around getting Owen involved in an angle that involves Deborah and, uh, and a, like a sexual storyline and a fair kind of storyline that Owen was uncomfortable with. So Owen had been kind of saying no to creative. Uh, and we know both as people who follow kind of like backstage wrestling antics and also kind of like as various degrees of performers, that pressure to like not want to turn down too many opportunities or have a reputation for being difficult, that kind of thing. Um, so when the Blue Blazer gimmick comes up, This is an original gimmick that he sort of debuted with originally trying to distance himself, I guess, or establish him uniquely from the heart, the rest of the heart family. Uh, But in this iteration, it's really leaning hard on comedy and almost making it a direct commentary uh, on being uh, more wholesome or reacting to some of the uh, sexier, more violent, darker sides of the attitude era. This is kind of like set up. So it's easy for some, and some, I think, draw the parallel very directly, uh, that this gimmick is almost intended as punishment in a couple ways. Uh, but that's sort of like, uh, lingering sort of in the background as Owen's going, uh, forward with things that he may not love and may not be totally comfortable with.
1: Now, when you say punishment, do you, do you mean for just for the rejection of the more sexual storylines or do yeah, you think being for, difficult?
0: Like basically, yeah. like I think, uh, you know, per a lot of these retellings and per a lot of the interviews and stuff and, and excerpts and things I've read, uh, they have been pitched. You know, he's been saying no to storylines and turning down creative. And that's not something uh, they enjoy, you know, getting a reputation of being difficult mm-hmm. or not wanting to do business or do what you're told. Put your head in the fucking toilet is the mantra. <laughs> mm-hmm. so it's a, it's not just a saying, it's a way of life uh, at the WWF at the time so I think there is like an added pressure of like okay, this idea compared to the others, if I have to eat shit, I'd rather do that I'd rather mm-hmm. take this kind of cheesy gimmick um, that I feel like, when I say punishment because it's also sort of needling and making him out to be sort of a dorky square narc which I think it could be interpreted by some folks as people kind of saying that about Owen's reluctance to you know to do more acting even if it's like sexual or whatever Mm -hmm.
2: was the only like was the only angle pitched like the sexual angle like there were a lot of other things going on at the time I mean like they found a way to get test involved so like (laughs) what you know like were they just like no we're not going to put you in the union no we're not going to put you in the ministry or was he turning that
0: stuff down too well at at the end of the day I mean they're not going to come to them they're not desperate to fit him in somewhere it's also the kind of thing like here's a story we have for you if you don't like it like they're not obligated to come to another story they're just going to find somebody else you know what I mean to do the story they're doing Um, and if they don't use people they don't care you know what I mean so like sort of by saying like I'm not participating you're sort of taking yourself out of the, the thrust of what's happening in the world right now
1: right And when I think about all all the pieces in place for a story like the Ministry and the Corporation, I don't see the place for Owen in in an
0: already convoluted storyline like that. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, So I I think there wouldn't be a natural fit for him, but I also they they wouldn't just like keep pitching him things indefinitely. Um, at some point, you know, I know, I know the Deborah story is the one specific one that I've seen referenced over and over again. Um, both in some of the stuff we watch, but also in some other like biographies and, and interviews, you know, cause the 20 year anniversary of all this was just last year. So there was like a lot of additional coverage that came out. Um, but I think, uh, that it was sort of like, he, he said no enough. Hmm. So on November 15th, the
1: blue blazer is lowered down from the rafters, suspended by a harness, and the the joke is that he's not quite lowered down far enough to touch the ground. He swings a little bit and then Steve Blackman uses the opportunity to beat on him like he's a pinata. Which isn't a horrible yeah. it, it's not a horrible like it's it's funny.
0: Sure. I mean like <laughs> well, It's like a level of humor that's... It's a level of humor that's definitely uh, attainable in far less perilous ways. Let's say that.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. Well, Well, it was funny. So, like, you know, all I knew was that, you know, Owen fell, right? So, of course, when we're doing the homework, I see this clip, and I'm just like, oh, oh, God, that's how... You know what I mean? Like, it was just like... The pieces started falling into place because um, you know I, I didn't realize that he was going to be dressed as the blue blazer and that it was kind of like he was doing the the lowering thing so it was hard for me to get the the comedy out of it but um not thinking ahead to what happens uh, you know it, it was yeah it, it was fine uh i think i think bobby's point stands that (laughs) you don't need to be lowered from the top of the uh the stadium to just get beaten up four feet above the ground
1: 100 percent. i mean you've you've got a cape there where it's very easy to get like tangled up in stuff like that there's there's other comedy to be mine i guess um i'm just saying that the the idea in it has some humorous merit to it but also we're talking about Owen Hart and somebody that we've talked with with such reverence um, up until this point. And so the fact that they can't figure out a good storyline angle that doesn't require this is definitely an indictment on the creative at the time.
0: Anyone... Right. Well,
2: why, would you take such, why would you take such a good technician and like, not have him do anything?
0: Well, I think this is, like, also a time where we look around and we're talking about who's, you know, who we, when we started this, you, the stars were Steve Austin, still basically the ringmaster at that point, Shawn Michaels mm-hmm. and Bret Hart. Like, valuing sort of technical prowess was, like, a much different world than we're in now with Cactus Jack hardcore matches, mm-hmm. uh, with Steve Austin, like, 90% brawling in the crowd. Even The Undertaker is, like, still basically, like, finding out, um, like pushing the limits of what he's able to do still. So certainly the focus is off of the exact kind of um, athleticism that Owen is uniquely suited for.
1: And just before a number of wrestlers that definitely complement that style will be entering the WWF. Yes. So then in the buildup for the -the over-the-edge pay-per-view. The idea is that um, Owen will be taking on the Godfather for the intercontinental title. Uh, We get a, a cut to Deborah and Jeff concerned about Owen on the first episode of SmackDown, and then we cut to a hallway where he is running down the hallway yelling, WWF needs a superhero, and I'm here to bring it one. Woo. Then um, we get a Val Venus Blue Bit Blazer match. That's mostly notable just because it's one of the last times that we will see a televised Owen Hart match.
2: Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, the Blazer part looked. I, I assume that's part of the design. Is that the that. The, bla- the, the actual cape of the blue blazer is just supposed to be really hard to wrestle in. It seemed to just keep getting tangled around his body. But, you know, I guess if, if you're meant to be a um, spoof on something, then that's, I guess, you know, part of the design. Does that sound right to everyone? Yeah. It yeah. um, also, man, I, you know, just watch, knowing that this is like the decline of, of Owen um seeing him give that like you know, eat your vitamins and drink your milk uh promo, it just started feeling I was trying to place it and I couldn't tell if it was like, do you guys remember that scene from from gremlins where um the the like the girl um talks about like why she hates Christmas mm-hmm. and it's because like her father basically like, they found her father in the like dead in the chimney in a Santa suit. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of what this reminded me of. I was, or I was trying, I couldn't place if there was a better, uh, a better like analogy, but there was like something about it where you're just like, you're just watching this guy who is doing like this silly ass shit and just kind of being like demeaned and knowing that this is, you know, this is the route he's going down that leads to his, actual death that's that's kind of like i was trying to find the the pop culture thing like the movie or or whatever that had a very similar type of trajectory but I, I couldn't quite place it
1: yeah i mean it's it's for us looking back it's uh rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead i think this this character who doesn't know that he's shuffling on to i, I shouldn't even well, say character yet. than what i was going for <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh, i was I, i don't know and but yeah but even in that promo that you're referencing afterwards where it's a lot of kevin kelly going okay owen and uh him denying that he's owen hart um he can barely get through that first part of that promo stumbles over his words and then just that bad hulk hogan redo there at the end with the the say your prayers and eat your vitamins
2: yeah, yeah, just, it just, um, you know, it, it felt like this, like, you know, he was being forced to, like, grasp for relevance, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, for any, any screen time he, he had.
0: I think that stuff, though, is, is intentional. They were intentionally, yeah, this guy's cheesy, you know, who else is cheesy, Hulk Hogan's cheesy, Sting is cheesy, that's like these, these, uh, the parallels yeah. to this were, like, they wanted him to be purposely bad, uh, because he's supposed to be an approximation of those guys, in in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Well, I mean that's why that's why uh, you know they
2: cover that in uh, Dark Side of the Ring, right? That's why he was actually lowering from the ceiling in right. the first place, right? Yes. I also noted, by the way, that um, Aaron, you, and Jerry Lawler have the same had the f- same favorite superstar. Oh, really? Yeah, you... Lawler mentioned that that Godfather was his favorite. And I was like, wow, you and Lawler and young Aaron both want to see some puppies. And I mean still, obviously. I just
1: don't scream yeah, about you and, it. You and you and Lawler like still Man. have a lot in common. Yes, me and Jerry Lawler have a lot in common. Um So then the final uh the final Owen Hart match takes place on the Raw Go Home Show for the Over the Edge pay per view on May seventeenth. Um, Jeff and Deborah enter Blue Blazer enters um, and they make a real point of saying oh he's such a goody two-shoes JR like you could tell JR doesn't even really want to be doing this this bit says he's some kind of nerdy do-gooder the usually much better erudite uh, JR to explain these gimmicks and, and get him over on people just really you can see his heart not in it
0: well, he really um, made sure to lean into explaining that uh, the Godfather is a nice pimp who treats everyone very, very fairly. And I was like, wait a minute. Yep. <laughs> it was just a sort of a, uh, I, I mean, I understand it, but what a weird, everything about this, like, is just so weird. Are you a good pimp or a bad pimp? I mean, hmm. down, down to the Godfather's Godfath necklace that just said Godfath with no an ER. And I was like, am I missing something? <laughs> What, what, what is this? <laughs> yeah, two letters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, did it break backstage? I know this is, like, the last thing I should be, like, concerned about, but just, like, everything <laughs> about this felt like a fever dream of, like, like you said, Eric, like, kind of, like, knowing I'm watching Owen Hart uh, unfold into what will ultimately lead to his downfall, like, the dramatic irony, almost, of watching it back, uh, while also watching, like, uh a good guy pimp get cheered by the audience and a bunch of local strippers and also Nicole Bass is there. And it's like, there's just so many things happening that I truly felt my brain melting.
2: Yeah. There were a ton of run-ins. It was a weird, not fun thing. Uh, I think, I think describing the Godfather as a good pimp is like how people think that there's like good CEOs that could become president. Like, uh, oh, well, Mike Bloomberg, he knows how to run a company. He can run a country. He'll be fine.
1: Eric, we're already depressed enough. You don't need to bring the uh, the current political hellscape into
2: it. <laughs> it's Mike Bloomberg, though. Nobody takes that seriously <laughs> no. anymore. God, remember
0: how scary that was for one second, though, <laughs> like that earlier was, this yes, year? Yes.
2: That was literally one of the most
1: terrifying things in the world earlier this year while, while a plague was about to happen. I know,
2: and then, Yeah, but that was like, that was 20 years ago. I don't know.
0: <laughs> that was 20, that's about 45 terrifying things have happened since then uh, that make yeah. that look like, honestly, like it's being tickled with a feather by comparison.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember just my parents telling me about Bloomberg running, like when they were kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. But, oh, but yeah, Owen eats... T- <laughs> Owen gets the Death Valley
1: driver, he eats the pin, and that's the last televised match that we'll see of his. So at the over-the-edge pay-per-view, what's supposed to happen is something similar to what happened with the Steve Blackman run-in the the
0: November before. Uh, Bobby, do you want to talk about this a little bit? I don't want to go too full into like forensics here, or especially for any legal purposes. Like I am just reiterating, um, some firsthand accounts and things that have been compiled online over the years. With that said, uh, Owen leaves to head for this stunt. Um, and they're using a different person to rig him up than they did the previous time. Additionally, they're using a different sort of solution to do the rigging. Uh, one of the concerns they had about the first way they rigged him is that it took too long to sort of disengage so he could detach and then begin the match you know and be and be mobile um thinking that having this delay of him sort of fussing in the or the official getting him, they would in theory allow his opponent if f- folks were being realistic to get the early jump on him so would there be a way to um hasten the ability to get out of this? harness um at assuming he's on the ground so they ended up using a kind of latch uh that's used primarily for sailboats that's designed to open easily to release the sail um that's what they decided to use uh they tested it they had asked a bunch of other guy uh professional riggers also that were with them to like test it and one of them refused uh so there was some things that were suspect there from the beginning that were called that p- people were concerned about. Uh, and Owen, depending who you asked has ex- had expressed some concern about this setup and the stunt as a whole. I believe he was dressing that day with the acolytes. Um, and I think it was Bradshaw that might've said later that he had mentioned he was concerned. Uh, and this was, and wa- um, oh, and, and this was, um, a late
1: rewrite to the, uh, the script for the night, Right.
0: I believe so. Yes, I remember they hearing to that on the dark movie. side of the
1: ring. Yeah. Yeah. That, but that originally he wasn't going to be doing the, uh, the descent, but then kind of a, a last minute thing. So I think that was part of the reason maybe why these, this other group was brought in.
0: And I actually think the opportunity, I think it's the opposite. I think the opportunity presented itself and then they wrote it in versus they wrote it in and, then h- and scrambled to find somebody. I think somebody okay. was available, uh, and then they were able... And then they wanted to take advantage of it. In fact, I believe these are the guys that... Anyway, whatever it was, I believe that this rigging company was available and wanted to work with the WWF, and this was basically a way for them to be like, hey, we want to show you what we can do. Is there something we can do with you guys while you're in town or whatever? Uh, and they're like, great, let's do this Blazer thing. But the... the you know, What ends up happening... Uh, you know, different details depending on who you ask. But the show itself is before the match cuts to like a pre recorded, you know, package recap that we're used to at a pay per view. So that's playing at home. So the home audience isn't seeing what's happening um, on at the pay per view. It's dark in the arena because they're cleaning up after the hardcore match that just happened earlier. So there's like weapons and crap laying around. Um, at this point owen is getting ready for his descent up in the catwalk you know 80 feet above the ring in the arena so he the 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 process for this is to sort of uh and anyone who's done i don't know repelling or whatever like this i guess this is sort of like a a pretty standard way this goes like you sort of like uh stand out and squat while holding on with your feet flat against the catwalk so you know you're, you're holding on while they kind of get you already lean into it and then you're kind of like suspended above while you wait for the get the cue to start the descent so he had you know climbed over the catwalk he had leaned back holding on to engage the, the tautness of the system he had been into the hovering position and that's when the clasp released prematurely and he fell to the ring Uh, the theory of how or why is that he was uh, adjusting his robe there was only one other person on the catwalk with him at this time so that person said they saw him touch his chest he may have been adjusting his robe and the way he pulled the robe the sort of clasp for release was um, like attached to his right side and basically like the rope pulled something to taut and triggered the release uh oh, is, is the is the theory like that's what it seems how it seems like it happened uh there's a bunch of people in the ring like i said clearing debris uh including referee jimmy corderas uh he was actually walking toward the corner where owen fell uh I'll, you know it's an arena things are very loud uh so not everyone heard this, but some folks say that as Owen fell, the last thing he says is look out that to hopefully save the folks that are in the ring still in case he would land on, on one of them. Uh, Jerry Lawler would say that he saw, um, he would tell Jimmy Corderas later that he saw the last five seconds of the fall. Um, He really thought he was going to land on Jimmy Corderas, just like based on like where he was, you know, his vantage point. Mm -hmm. Um, So Owen Hart uh, hits, part of him hits the top rope on the way, lands in the ring. It's an incredibly bad scene.
1: And so people are scrambling, um, trying to like salvage whatever they can of this show.
0: Um, well, JR there's a is... real no question first. He's not dead on impact, to mm-hmm. be clear. So he's still technically alive. And it, this is live television. And I mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys can think of anything, anything in history that comes close to this, um, in terms of the just like the sheer shock um, or any kind of blueprint or model to follow, because um, this happens, and uh, you know, it's so. I've had a i have had had a lot of feelings as we you know kind of mentioned earlier as we watched some of this stuff, uh, but you know, this is a coworker. And a family ma- I mean like these guys are are traveling on the road together they see each other day now they know each other's families they've been working together for, for years um, and that includes like not just the other wrestlers but that includes Vince that includes management that includes all these people um, and now this very real human being uh, father and husband is fell from the sky and is in the ring right now uh, so Jimmy Cordero asked for help I know the king rushes uh forward uh the rock would say that once he heard in the back he was going over his match with triple h and r- most of the guys rushed to gorilla position um where like they didn't know well i mean no one knew what to fucking do i can't imagine what that backstage scene must have looked like Total. I mean, like, just the the chaos and the, the the shock that must have been flowing. But The Rock says that he asked, like, should I go out? Like, can I, I got to go out there. Can I go out there and check? And I'm like, well, like, just not knowing what to do. But there was concern that if guys start going out there, the crowd might read it as an angle mm-hmm. um, and respond wrong and cheer when The Rock comes out. You know what I mean? Like, because, again, the crowd also doesn't know what what happened, what to do. A lot of folks in the arena, even at the end of the show, thought that a doll fell from the, the bleachers. So they didn't make an announcement in the arena that Owen Hart is dead. Uh, that was just for TV. So the folks in the arena don't know what's happening. Jeez. That's fucked up. It's, I mean, everything about it is fucked up. Now, you know, I, I don't know how much we want to dwell on the gory details here, or how or, you know. Uh, I, I I also obviously the big the show continues, um, and that is I think something, something definitely that I want to spend time talking about because uh, yeah. to me this is like one of uh, I think this is the part of this whole story that fits the most in our within you know we talk a lot about what's our remit um, mm-hmm. that we talk about, but I think like the decision for the show to go on is certainly something uh worth exploring here and honestly just to jump in i guess i found myself not sympathetic to vince mcmahon but not i don't know man just like watching this through and knowing that the call that was made to go forward i just don't think it come it came from a place of callousness uh from what i've from a lot of accounts all the guys were giving an option for the rest of the night to go out or not. The show was going on, um, so they had to put other people out, like they'd switch matches or whatever they had to do if anybody didn't want to wrestle, but according to folks, they were given the opportunity to like opt out if they they couldn't. But truly in that moment, I think no one, no one knew the answer and no one knew what was happening, like what the right thing to do was. Um, Including the commentators who are having to react to this live on, live on camera. And have to be very careful with what they say. Um, I mean, I don't even think they would probably, I guess probably someone was thinking legally uh, what they should say and not say the same way you like don't apologize in a car accident. Um, do they tell you? Because <laughs> it like implicates blame or whatever. Uh, you know, it must be such a Your parents
1: told you that one very early, right? Yeah. Punch out the tail They told tail me that lights. when I was a and, toddler. <laughs> and, and don't apologize if you get in a car accident.
0: And I was like, you know, guys, okay, gonna make it easier. I'm just never gonna drive. Uh, but in this case, like yeah, I, I don't know what the right answer I don't think they I, I don't think they were anyone was capable of making a rational, purposeful decision enough to be motivated by greed. Yeah, I personally. think back
1: I think back to um and, and it's it's not on the same scale, but um up in Canada when um Metallica, when um James Hetfield gets burned by the pyrotechnic. And then Guns N' Roses decides to not go on and play, and the riot that goes on after it. Obviously, the the situations are very different in here, but I think within this environment, there's there's this this show must go on kind of mentality, and like I've got all these contractual obligations, and and there, it is not a decision that I ever want to be put in.
0: Yeah, for sure. And there's no...
2: That's and, why... I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's why I don't uh, book any pay-per-views at all. I'm just, you know, keep that out of my lane. Right? I don't want to have to make that.
0: But even with that, like, there's still... There's not a playbook for that. Like, I don't even know, like, how, who... Like, I, I don't think there'd even be, like, a clear chain of command of, like, yeah, sure, it all comes down to Vince. But, like, Vince don't, on his own... Called pay-per-view like that's someone else's department like someone else has the knowledge there to even know what has to be done like this is the kind of thing that that could not be prepared for whatsoever um and is such a bizarre tragedy yes i mean like the tragedy of it is foremost and i think what it ha- like you know you get hit with first but to really step back and think about like not only is this a tragedy but this is a fucking this is a true freak accident That, Mm -hmm. I I don't even know how you, what, I think Monday Morning Quarterback, Hindsight 2020, yeah, you're like, oh, would be much more compassionate that, but I don't know how you'd make that decision on, you know, like, May 23rd. You know what I mean? Like, not Mm -hmm. 1999, before this.
1: I bet they damn sure have a playbook for it now. Yeah,
0: I bet they do.
2: I mean, what I would say is... (sighs) I agree. I agree with you in the sense that, you know, like, you know, you have to make a split-second decision. And, you know, if you if you take sports, right, as any kind of indicator, um, you know, players get injured, and you don't know what level that they're injured at, and they get carted off the field, and everyone takes a knee, and then they continue playing, right? Um, and I think, you know, obviously... There's still there's still sports and sports entertainment. The thing for me that still kind of lingers is uh what's the best way to put this? Okay. How when when in the was this like at the beginning of the night, basically? Um was no, I actually the think second it was, or third match, I believe. Y- yeah. Okay, second or third right. So like pretty early on, you know, each pay per view is like, you know, almost three hours and uh you know i can understand like if it i don't know if it were me monday you know if i'm monday morning quarterbacking this if it were me uh maybe you know you start out by going okay uh just put on the next match we'll just go to the next match but that's a lot of matches to sit through and and not think like we need to end this night early do you know what i mean like maybe you don't immediately you know cut the lights and tell everyone to go right away but maybe you just kind of like all right um we're just going to take this in for a real soft quick landing like you know two matches later sorry guys like we have to we have to pull this i mean obviously look you know i'm not going to to say that uh i have the best decision but like i just also imagine you know like everybody for what Nearly like maybe two hours having to do the rest of these stories and and like do their jobs in this way, and it's just like that is a lot. That's a that's a that's like you know, you could be in shock for for like 10 minutes, one match, two matches, but like at a certain point, it starts getting extremely like macabre to to you know, finish out the show
0: you're not wrong. I don't think, but I, I I sort of like disagree that I I don't know if it's a matter of degrees. Like, I think it's either like the show goes on or it doesn't. And like, whether you do one match, two match, 10 matches after it's either like, once you cross the Rubicon and keep going, once you peel his body off of the ring and continue wrestling on it, like you, you cross the Rubicon, you might Mm -hmm. as well finish it. Cause I don't think if you did two matches, it's better than doing six. I think it's either like, once you do one match, it's like you go on or you don't but once you sort of take that human once you t- disrupt that potential crime scene and like move that human being at that that's the decision to me like at that point like it's you're either on one side of that or the other
2: the the crime scene is definitely a good point i mean i guess uh absent of the crime scene part i don't think of it as crossing the rubicon just because you know uh i i i think that there is a you know, there's a like. A, I think the, the crime scene is a very good argument for stopping it right away. But if we if we take that part out, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a, a there's an argument uh, there's an argument to be made that, you know, a, that when people make a decision, it's kind of like a quick decision, and then they they have a chance to reconsider. And it's not like, well, you know, we already are, we already wrestled one match. We might as well wrestle all. You know. Five other matches, I don't see it that way because, you know, look, I in 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 much less degrees, there have always been times where you know you you know something happens that's wrong. You try to move on, and you're like, nope, nope, this isn't this isn't good. I should just stop. You know what I mean? So like, I, I'm I I think I'd be willing to forgive you know, like the, at least from the, from that aspect of it, I'd be willing to forgive the slight error in judgment because people panic and they're not sure what they should be doing. And everyone wants to just like keep to the schedule. But I think, you know, you've got all this time to start like letting it dawn on you what you're doing. I think it's, it, it indicts you more, the more, the more you like, the more distance you have. And, the, and like you know each match is an, is a decision to keep going it's not like you know you made the decision might as well keep going i think each you know to a certain degree each match is like you're you're still going you know
0: yeah that's my opinion on I it i mean i i am with you on that in theory i think the but i think the pub, the court of public opinion though like if they stopped it after 2 i think would still have the uh sort of uh the stain would still be on the, it yeah, I think they'd, yeah. people would still be like, how dare you, you kept it going. that was so disgusting and disrespectful to his memory and insensitive to continue the show, even if it was for two matches instead of, you know, the rest.
2: I, I Look, I don't think there's a good way out of this. I mean, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I agree. Like, you know, look, the court of public opinion is never going to be entirely fair, especially, or I don't know about fair. It's never going, to, you know, uh, yeah, it, you know, like when a person dies on your watch there's nothing that you can do that's ever good enough of a reaction like they're gonna you know they'll, there will be a million things that reasons that people will find to be upset um, but you know I, one hopes that sober minds afterwards would be like okay well look you know if I was in that position how would I act you know what I mean like the way we're doing it now right mm-hmm. yeah so I, I know what you mean but also, Eric, thank you
1: for an important lesson that there's never a, a bad time to do the right thing. I think that's your greater thesis.
2: Yeah, you're right, you're right. Like, there, You know, you can always, like, look, sometimes, like, there have been tons of times where people have, like, lied about something and then immediately they're like, the, that was stupid, this is what the truth is. And, you know, like, I think that's better than just sticking to the lie. Mm-hmm. So then, with very little prompting from
1: backstage, Jr. is forced to announce to the home audience that Owen Hart has died, and like literally fed him the information, and you're back in ten. So you're just watching a man trying to, um, trying to come come to terms with this situation and probably grappling with what little information he has from the back. What um I'm sure directives to to not say anything incriminating to anyone involved for something that you never really wanted to to have a part of it and to begin with
0: something that strikes me about this so much that that really kind of like I don't want to say it makes me sympathetic for everyone involved because I do you know I, I disagree I think there's some of the decisions that were wrong here um I don't know if they were motivated by evilness or greed, but I do think, you know, we can say in hindsight, they were the wrong decision, but uh, something, you know, you mentioned at the top of the episode that like wrestling has a darkness, like there is a darkness to it. Uh, And yet so many people involved in this, whether you hear it from Vince or Jr. or Jimmy Corderas will say without qualification, this was the worst day of their lives. And they've had some real fucking dark days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just think it goes to show that, like again, the tragedy here, but the, the bizarreness of it almost makes it crueler. Uh, but again, they make that announcement for the, for the at-home crowd, but the, the live crowd doesn't know what's going on. Uh, the ring where he landed is broken. So as the wrestlers continue performing for the night, um, they can like feel a dip. Uh, which is really, fucked yeah, it's <laughs> just, just like a- so fucked up. Can't imagine
1: every time just kind of landing on or, or doing your best to avoid that, but still going through this match
0: that you've choreographed with your partner. Well, I mean, anyone who performed the rest of that night la- that night, which would be The Rock, Triple H, Stone Cold, um, admitted that like most people said that like, I don't remember how we di- I don't know how we did it. Like literally everyone says that, which blows my mind when I think about it, because I would think that wrestling is one of the performances that you have to be the most present for mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because literally two lives are on the line. Um so i I just can't imagine going out there not I can't you know I can't imagine being stoned and doing stand-up comedy at the same time so let alone <laughs> um being uh, traumatized uh, and in that moment while well, like still basically in the process of being traumatized have well, to like perform like a very uh high stakes physical ballet with someone. And to to take a page
1: from Owen Hart himself, you know, um, everyone talks about what an incredible talent this man was and his precision and his technical ability. But one wrong move at SummerSlam and Owen Hart paralyzed Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it's definitely something where you need to be there
2: 100%. Well, I, I think I think probably they were there one hundred percent, but uh, it. I think there's a there's a part of your brain, you know that that puts you into survival mode, mm-hmm. and um, at that, it, it might it might be something where like you're able to access, you know, you, you have all your cognitive facilities, but you're probably not like the, all of the adrenaline, especially in this kind of moment. I mean, they have different types of adrenaline, but I think they're probably, their brain is like suppressing the ability to form like long-term memory from mm-hmm. what they were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think there are things that where people, you know, can be ex- like where you are extremely reactive and you are, and you know exactly what's happening. And then afterwards, uh you're just like whoa i there's a lot of like there's a lot of black holes there like i mean uh on a happy note like when you know when people get married uh there's like a lot of parts of that i feel like that are just like you have to kind of remind yourself what happened because you don't really fully remember you're a little bit out of your body even though you've practiced all of it and you know you you know obviously it's not the same as again wrestling but there's a lot of things that you're that you do, and then all of a sudden, and you're you know you're able to do all of it, and everything makes sense, and then you have to recall it, and you can't.
1: Way to rub it in, Eric. Look
2: at me, Mister. I got married in the pre-COVID times. Sorry, Aaron. You, you, you wouldn't understand. Uh, you haven't had happiness in your life, um, so. Is
1: uh is there anything else that you guys want to talk about from the night of? Uh, no,
0: nope. I don't think so. No. Okay. The following
1: night on Monday Nitro, obviously Bret Hart takes a leave from absence, but the show opens with a ten ring bell salute to Owen Hart.
0: And I and can that... tell you, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Take it clean. Uh, I can tell you with that as well that Bret Hart learns of Owen's uh, accident uh, on an airplane, which is the, I can't think of a worse place uh, to get that news. Um, and it was tough. I, I want to say there was a rib played once uh, on Bret about his father dying. Where someone like called him like you have to call home your father died. And he didn't, and it was a it was a it was a a very tasteless so, prank. Awful, but, awful prank. But a, but a prank. So when this came up and Eric Bischoff hears it, I mean like it sounds like, wait a minute, like, cause again, it's fucking crazy to be like mm-hmm. the WWF just had someone die on like live in front of an an arena of people uh fall to his dad. I mean, like that's it sounds insane. Mm-hmm. Um so Brett hears about it there uh, on an airplane which again i can't imagine a worse place to get news like that where there's like no escape Mm -hmm. i also already cry
2: at like romantic comedies on a plane like the the altitude really just makes me very weepy i could not imagine hearing truly horrifying news like that eric you've been talking a lot about crying
1: throughout this how did i live with you for uh for years with never seeing
0: you cry once I don't do it in front of you. <laughs> I'm doing mine right now. <laughs> in a post-COVID world, I feel like not a day goes by where I'm not crying. Yeah, I don't know. I like. Um,
2: I don't know. I, I guess you know. It depends if you like look over at me while I'm watching. You know, a specific movie or something like. Ta- Talia has seen me like start to get a little bit. Um, mushy every once in a while when we're watching TV and she's like, Are you crying? I'm like, no, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> I'ma catch you one of these days. Just put on like like Rudy or something at the end. But then on Raw, uh
1: the night, the regular um show is cancelled, scrapped, um, and instead the whole night is a tribute to Owen Hart. There are matches but nothing that has to do with any of the current storylines, just um, from what I understand, just anyone who felt like they could go that night, they uh, they put together some things on the fly with that. And throughout the night, between the matches, um, a number of superstars give their memories of Owen Hart. Oof, man. Woof.
0: Just... Watching
2: Mark Henry cry <sighs> on on that on that uh, gangplank, uh-huh. uh, he was just like he had tears just streaming down. That was a that was a rough one.
1: Yeah, reading the poem he wrote to Owen, then later on to oh my God, the and poem. just watching watching the tears develop in this this huge huge man's eyes, and just like seeing the. Com- Triple H was the one, too, that really struck with me just because the character that he's portrayed up until this point is such a a conniving, um, emotionless. uh, The only emotion he would show is is anger or retribution or making fun of people. And then just seeing the the humanity come out of him for this person that he's worked with for these years now.
0: I mean, I thought, I mean, Jeff Jarrett and and Deborah, who um, spoke. Triple H and China spoke together, but uh, uh-huh. Jared and Deborah spoke separately. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to cry talking about this, but as, as everyone who listens to this podcast by now knows, I cry incredibly easily. It's like not news, um, not notable. But I thought I was, I, you know, I was really moved by both of them, I think, because, um, I don't know, I guess for something, for some reason, I guess, I, I, even though Triple H's character to this point has been defined thusly, I feel like I've gotten to know him so much as a person over the years as paul Mm -hmm. levesque and like as a as a a figurehead as someone who encourages the women's division hugging and giving flowers that i guess his humanities not that it surprised me less but i don't know i guess i was used to seeing the softer side of of paul uh Mm -hmm. whereas Jarrett is like jeff Jarrett, is and also someone who jeff Jarrett i I wouldn't say like i'd want to ever like have a beer with uh Mm -hmm but seeing him have that, it kind of has like the equivalent of like most people being like seeing their father cry, like someone mm-hmm. who you don't associate the kind of emotions with. And Deborah, I think what really got me was her speech impediment. Did everybody pick up yeah, on that? Yeah, me too. That it was me like, too. Uh- and, and that it, it felt like not it just like this thing that she must obviously, obviously have to work very hard to control or act around or whatever. And definitely something that she like as a, but could not call on any of that poise on any of that control in that moment because her heart was so broken and like that to me was just like the realest, most broken down to her basic like her her, her basis self that just i it just it that really for some reason wrecked me i was just like damn like she lost that that that, that nakedness and vulnerability was just more than any other actual nakedness she's ever shown
2: I I haven't actually seen Deborah on the mic at all so I was like this might have been the first time I ever heard her talk so I wasn't sure if she just doesn't really talk or 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 what I couldn't tell if it was like she you know just the sobbing was causing the speech impediment or if she just has a speech impediment that she sometimes slips into uh you know and and she otherwise is able to mask it I don't I'm not sure I mean there were so many like just seeing these people who are just like the toughest like sons of bitches around all like having no problem. Just, just crying. I mean like Mick talking, like naming his chat his son Ugh. and talking about his son. Uh, The Mark, the Mark Henry poem made me so, I'm so curious about like the background of Mark Henry. Like mm-hmm. he just like, it seems like he, he gravitates to poetry, you know, in a lot of ways. And I wasn't sure if that's like maybe like an outcropping of his natural personality. You know what I mean? Like if it's something where it's like, hey, you know what? Actually it turns out I like to write poetry. Mm-hmm. Um but just like for somebody to be like like him to just be so kind of in touch with his emotions. Yeah. Is um it really makes you like choke up a little. Yeah a lot. <laughs> it makes you choke up a lot. Yeah, right? it's fucking refreshing.
0: That's what it mean. Or like,
2: oh my god, road dog. Mm-hmm. Jesus
0: Christ. So we can talk about Road Dog for a second because there are parts of the special, you know, obviously a lot of it was very evocative, very affecting. Uh, and there were a couple moments of like weird dissonance, I think, and especially like yes. some of the, the the programming that was like live in the arena. Um, and mm-hmm. we'll, yeah. we'll talk about, so I'm not going to go through all of it now, but the, uh, while we're on the Road Dog, I a lot of, uh, Billy Gunn does this earlier, and I guess it's hard to talk about one without the other. Uh, but, Road Dogg modifies his standard intro, which at this point, the Outlaws are split and whatever. So Road Dogg comes out with this sort of adapted version of the classic Outlaws entrance, um, and where he would say, you're WWF Tag Team Champions of the World. Instead, he says something that I think is so fucking profound and the most of all of the emotional speeches and things that uh, folks are saying through tears and all the things I've even read of people in retrospect this is the one that I was like, "That's the fucking vibe," which he just goes, "You know, sometimes I just don't understand this world." And I was like, "Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, hundred percent mm. that Super
2: weird. What a super weird way to like do the tribute. But, so funny. I mean, not funny, but you know, like what a
0: but that one, I think is like it's that I actually think it was appro- not even appropriate uh astute (laughs) like like a really like as opposed to billy gunn who separately does his intro it says if you're like not down with owen hart i got two words for you suck it which that seems wrong (laughs) like that seems Uh actually like inappropriate not meaningful not helpful whereas like i think what the road dog does there is actually kind of like perfect in its honesty you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it used the gimmick which gins up the crowd, which is part of the kind of, like, uh, celebration of life approach. I think, like, tonally, I understand, like, wanting to get folks to cheer for Owen, like, what Billy Gunn was trying to do. Uh, but I just think, like, just the naked honesty of just being, like, what a fucked up world we live in and sometimes I just don't understand why things like this happen and it's like, yeah, that's, that's the feeling everyone's feeling right now. Um, and that's a feeling I'm, I
2: had mean, in 2020 as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Bill. Look, Billy Gunn's never been the mic guy, so uh, I <laughs> he did he he Billy Gunn works within his means. Um, there were a couple, by the way, uh, just a, a couple like brief observations about some of the things. Um, let's see. Oh, uh i looked up the poem that paul bearer wrote uh read that was uh from uh for the Fallen by Lawrence binion hmm. um let's see i also i liked um i liked edge's story about the last match that that he had with owen I thought that was like kind of really nice um. Yeah, and the the story about
1: Harley race and the chili. I mean, basically, if if you yeah. didn't get that Owen Hart was a family man, that Owen Hart wasn't in this for for the for anything other than um, uh, to support his family, and once he knew his family was taken care of, he was ready to get out of this, and that Owen Hart was the funniest son of a bitch you ever met. Then you weren't paying attention.
2: Yeah yeah in fact uh it was kind of crazy like uh when Tess was talking about how owen <laughs> Owen like played that practical joke on him and then just never told him that it was that that was him <laughs> and like Tess found out the day like the day after Owen died that that was him I'm like that is the longest play like the 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 slowest play uh joke I've ever seen i i you have to kind of respect it.
0: To I was looking, you know, obviously a lot of folks shared some interest, some funny stories and ribs um, in this tribute. And in my research, I came across obviously so many others, um, but one of the ones that came upon that was one of my favorites. Is I guess they were they were driving with I think Jeff Jarrett or Val Venis's driver. driver, um, and as they're getting off the freeway, they hear a thump, uh, and Owen oh, Hart's like, "Oh my god, someone on the bridges like threw a rock onto the car." And the dark is like, what the fuck, man? And, like, runs up to the bridge to, like, see who did it or whatever. And he's, like, yelling at this guy and the cop. And there's, like, a cop there, I guess, or something. And they're like, no, 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 no. No one threw a rock over this bridge. The blonde guy in your car hit it with his hand, like, out the window. Uh, and then he turns it <laughs> Owen. And Owen blames it all on Jeff Jarrett. And is like, Jeff, why'd you do that? But, the blonde guy. And so it's, just, like, to me, I thought that was really funny. Uh, yeah, just, like, stuff like that. I, I. I i read i found a bunch of stories sort of like that that show who he is See, there was also like an ongoing um debate between he did used to do a lot of stuff at house shows like a lot of the, the stuff they talked talked about where he does stuff in the ring was always kind of about house shows uh but there was like a tag match i think it was uh brett and owen or maybe versus bulldog and lex lex luger and there used to be like a big argument over who was stronger bulldog or lex so they were trying to like press slam him and but owen would like go limp for lex luger so it was harder and like cooperate for bulldog and so it's just like a lot of things (laughs) like that uh that he was just constantly keeping everybody on their toes as you know the youngest child in a huge family you know it makes sense to be a natural outgrowth of his personality
2: yeah i uh i also noted that um every woman well not every woman deborah and china the only two women who spoke Uh, they, they always had to say, like, I loved you as a friend. Uh, I guess that's probably because there's probably a lot of infidelity in wrestling and they wanted to just make sure it was extremely clear to everybody. Like that when they say, I love you, they want to be like, no, no, no. This is a platonic love. I love you Mm -hmm. as a person. I didn't actually love you like totally romantically. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also, what were you gonna say?
0: No, I'm just agreeing with you. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, um, and, I, and the final thing was, especially when you hear like Triple H talk, um, there were a couple other people um, who also said similar things. I feel like a lot of people were just kind of like, like it, it, like you hear a lot. You heard a lot of people talk about Owen, but then you also kind of heard a lot of people talk about how much the wrestling business sucks, <laughs> like. Yeah. You know, like in, in a in a business that doesn't give a shit about anybody, where no, you know, like where people are true dirt bags and scum. <laughs> yeah, like Owen yeah. was a, was a bright, shining human being. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett
1: says integrity in this business is few and far between, but Owen Hart was was one that you could count on.
0: Oof. Yeah. I liked uh, Al Snow's in ring tribute with Owen. Instead of help me on yeah. his on head, that was a, a, a like that like that feels like a the right intersection of like character and tribute. Yeah, I, and you know what? I kind of liked
2: when Road Dog and uh, and um, Godfather were just like, let's not have a match. Let's just go and tell Owen stories. Like I'm almost making myself <laughs> cry thinking about it right now. So time passes on, obviously. Um,
1: then we go to July 5th. Um, Bobby, I know you don't, uh, don't have a lot of the WCW knowledge, but things weren't really going that well
0: for Bret Hart in WCW before this. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, he never really took off again. It's just like, I actually find this all really fascinating too. And as I was sort of like rewatching this whole saga and the next segment we'll talk about as well, I had to have this like real kind of like this it just reminds me of like a like there, there's a great saga here and the great tragedy of the Hart family where like each one like met these different demises and between the you know the the screw job leading to this and even british bulldog and just like uh, through uh you know, N- natty's husband uh, his injury there's just like i don't want to say like a family curse but like such a bizarre History, like a story to tell, that's just like full of twists and turns, and characters, and darkness, and uh, and part of that, I think, kind of like gets on Brett. And I think when you see Brett here compared to the Brett that even we saw when we started, and certainly, you know, while I'm not an expert in earlier days of wrestling, I dipped in and out for many, many years, and like would see Brett at the height of his Hitman popularity, handing putting the pink sunglasses on kids in the audience, and like the charisma he had and the light that was about him. That by this point. And especially after Owen dies, he's a ghost. And it's just like, it's so weird. Uh, just every, he, the business had just chewed him up and spit him out in so many ways. I don't think you need to ascribe uh, a curse to the family, but
1: when you've got 12 kids and each one of them is either a wrestler himself or married to a wrestler, I think that's just kind of the, uh, the commonest that we talked about, about tragedy and wrestling that something bad is going to happen to some of these people in your family
2: are we not sure that terrible ted wasn't an animal spirit <laughs> that uh keeping him captured in the dungeon ted put a curse on the family
0: it was like demon bear from uh, new mutants right <laughs> but yeah is that it's, ever like, up? Um... Uh, it's going to theaters somehow still I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't understand how that works it's like coming to theaters everywhere and i'm like not here it ain't like what the fuck <laughs> regardless uh but yes this uh nature here brett is essentially announcing a retirement I, I, of sorts well he's is... like
2: he's like uh am i might as well give a retire it's almost like let me give a retirement speech and let in case nobody wants to give me a chance to give a retirement speech there was one thing one thing i just wanted to kind of mention about this just like the the tribute to owen in uh the the raw after um, over the over the edge and and then also the you know kind of like the hitman speech I just feel like um the crowds in these shows are not emotionally prepared to be crowds at these shows mm-hmm. like there's a like there's a lot of people at different times just still kind of like where's the hard cam like where's the announcer cam like trying to mug for the for the you know, to get their face on TV. And it's just like, guys, like, read the fucking room. You know, like, I, you know, I'm watching on my, like, you know, on my laptop screen and, like, and just crying, crying, crying. And I just, I can't, I couldn't imagine how there were just, like, you know, these cheering fans who, you know, have completely dry eyes in that stadium. It's just such a, such a weird thing to me.
0: Well, it never surprises me, and certainly not in 2020, uh, anyone else's lack of empathy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. I just feel like, you know, I'm with you, though. Like, I I also don't understand how you could possibly, like, not grasp, like, the reverence of this moment or the decency and humanity of the performers that are before you, like, the the people behind them. You know, which, keep in mind, is also, like, a very interesting thing philosophically if you want to kind of, like, unpack this from a media studies point of view of, like we're not bred to understand that wrestlers are people. Like, the idea, the mm-hmm. whole the whole notion of kayfabe, you know, uh, separates the performer from the performance in a way that is very different than any other professional sport and is honestly kind of different than other forms of entertainment. Uh, it's That's why it's its own unique little weird concept with its own little silly word that, you know, there's some discrepancy on how to pronounce. But... Uh, <laughs> that's i think there's also like an interesting piece of this of like this is the realist real reality happening in the most it's it's like it'd be like a it it happening in essentially the firefly flun house so it's like what Mm -hmm. it's it is like a very hard thing to process um and i'm you know I, i agree that it's like jarring to understand or try and process the audience at the same time Who? Not in their defense, but like, if you think about it, like, these are not people uh, who pay, bought tickets to go to a tribute. They bought tickets to get drunk and see boobies and smashy smashy slams. You know what I mean? So like, they showed up hyped for that, and and I guess we're still expecting it to an extent. Right. This is truly the the
2: troglodyte crowd, I'd say. But that
1: wasn't going to be the end for Bret Hart. Um, he would go on uh, with the WCW promotion until the following January but that October they arranged for a special tribute match to Owen Hart at um in Kansas City in the same arena where he fell between Bret the Hitman Hart and Chris Benoit Ugh.
0: I mean I texted you guys getting a disclosure to our the fans, little little peek behind the curtain, uh, man, I can't look at Chris Benoit. I know we're gonna have a lot to unpack and, dis- mm-hmm. and multiple episodes of that to discuss. I'm sure, uh, but yikes! And then through this, just all double, triple, quadruple yikes.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I know why, uh, but I'd never seen Chris Benoit wrestle, so. You know, in the spirit of this project, I kind of tried to put that aside as its own thing, and just you know watch and try to you know kind of appreciate. And you know, again, really seriously putting all the other all of the tragedy of him aside, uh, it was a very good match. It, I I like. It just was one of those one of those things where you're like, wow, I forgot how good it is to watch Bret Hart wrestle. I forgot what like the this like you know truly technical um, non brawly brawl matching you know wrestling style can be like, and and then of course you've got Chris Benoit who can do that, but then also can do high flying stuff or, or relatively high flying stuff. Uh, And I was like, oh, I can kind of see why he, you know, why his star was on the rise. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that sharpshooter into the crippled crossface was
1: really something to see. Um, But then he goes for the flying headbutt. And every time you're like, is this the one? Is this the one that
0: did it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I think we'll talk a lot more about him down the road because another very complicated many layered tragedy uh which i which i actually remember unfolding in real time i had re-engaged wrestling at that point and i watched i was watching as that was happening but that's i'll save that for that episode uh for this though definitely agree what a what a technical match i have very little notes for it because i really just found myself sitting and enjoying it and i think especially having watched so much of the uh, tribute leading up to this and having a very like emotionally draining time I, I definitely found myself uh, roll, easing into and I guess seeing the power of wrestling as an art form and also like this did feel like a fitting tribute. His brother a close friend in the place that it happened put it working to their absolute top of their ability to deliver something really special um, it reminded me this is you guys uh, very similar to the end of a uh, of a Star is Born, <laughs> like is what like the same feeling it gave <laughs> me. Yeah, no, I mean,
2: um, it was just like so it was really, really well done, and just like watching them hug afterwards. Uh, you know, they like they it it made me I could kind of imagine what it would have been like for them to wrestle in the heart's dungeon yeah right where it's just like this is this is shit they just did all the time and like they just know we they they know each other's moves so well they just know how to like work well together um and and, you know it wasn't it wasn't fancy shit it was just like you know really like quick it's like um it's like the difference between like practical effects in a movie and like cgi effects that makes sense, Mm -hmm. like they're like everything they did was like super fast. And if you blink, you miss it. But like, there's a beauty to the fact that they are pulling that off.
1: And so I guess we go back to where we started with Chris and with Eddie and with all the other stories that we're going to be coming up with. This is not a problem that is going away during our remit and during our rewatch. But I guess the hope is that there are now a lot more safeguards in place and now there's a lot more understanding about the human body that hopefully going forward we see a lot less of these stories.
0: Yeah, I also want to caution us not to generalize all these deaths together because I think you have like the category of the Rick Rudes and the Brian Pillmans um, and the, the the drug use and sort of like the diseases of despair sort of aspect i think Mm -hmm. the violence and the cte aspect is like a different independent thing and then i think this is also uh uh whether it's a risk or reckless depending on your interpretation uh element of it so like and i think those three things are addressed differently and come from different places and there's a lot of overlap but there's also like a lot of uh non-overlapping parts of those venn diagrams Mm mm-hmm
2: well, ironically, the Owen accident is almost is very similar in some ways to the Austin accident, right? Like, yes, freak things that happen, and like, thank God, you know, it went the right way for Austin, but like, it's just like freak things that happen while you're doing the, this job.
0: Yeah, some of them are um, occupational hazards, uh, and some of them are like uh, outgrowths of. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Not abuse, but like of like the... Trauma. And the unreasonable demands of the road and of the business that are being placed on, that are built into the the systemic issues, if Mm -hmm. you will. The lack of insurance, the way the money is, blah, 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 that forces them to keep up a schedule, that pushes them into this lifestyle where they get a lot of money and have a lot of access and end up getting painkillers because they have to be able to perform. And like, that cycle has little to do with what happened to Owen um oh and who didn't do drugs and who didn't you know mm-hmm. like who by all, all accounts should be the opposite who like should be like a model wrestler of someone who had a family and 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 not drugs and didn't want to be a lifer and all this stuff uh yeah so it's just interesting to separate them to like think it's you
2: know.
0: like it well, sorry finish I, your thought i was gonna say it's all it's all bad it's all tragedy but uh i think they they're they're different flavors of tragedy
2: yeah, I uh, I think what you're describing, Bobby, is kind of like knock-on consequences, right? Like uh, the things, the the indirect things that come from, as you said, all of the all of the the uh, the holistic view of wrestling, as opposed to the very direct things that can happen. You know, like I, you know, the the direct things that happen don't happen that often because they do try to be careful about it. Mm-hmm. But then all of the knock-on consequences happen a lot more often because, you know, you can't do this to your body for forever. You can't, you know, you can't live that life for that long and not have, you know, this isn't how people were meant to live. Um, I also, I actually kind of, like, wrote out a little list to myself of, like, the things that I thought kind of contributed to Owen's death. And I wanted to tie it back to, like, almost like, like, uh, the way that at least I was approaching, um, what the WWE was doing, uh, in our earlier episodes. Because I think that there, it's, it's really, that was something interesting to me. I don't know if interesting is the word, but it was something that, like, I really wanted to kind of delve into. So, like... I, you know, one of the main things obviously is like the, is Owen's integrity, you know, the fact that he didn't want to do trashy stories. Um, And I think that's something, you know, it's interesting how we talk about how, like, for example, uh, Austin never wanted to do the sexist stuff. He, he was fine with doing the, um, you know, the the supernatural shit or whatever, but he didn't want, like, he, he drew lines with stuff. And then you have, you know, you know, Owen kind of, Similar thing doesn't get the same choice, uh, but then I also you know things that, that I really responded to was like the way that WWF would would take opportunities to um, to jab at W at WCW right so like Gilberg and um, uh, Rob uh, Robertson and Briscoe I'm uh, sorry Patterson and Briscoe. And how they made fun of, you know, they would, they would do that to make fun of uh, Hulk Hogan. All of those things that, that really did resonate with me, that's one of the things, right? Because that was like, that was how they were, you know, one of the angles they were using with the Blue Blazer was to kind of like poke fun at Sting. Uh, and then something that I really, that really has kind of sat with me is, you know, like we talked about Hell in a Cell the last one where the brood came down from the ceiling and I was like, man, like they just took like five minutes to undo their, their, their carabiners and their buckles. And their you know, it was like, it kind of betrayed the, the coolness of them, you know, coming down from the ceiling because it took so long for them to kind of like get unlatched, uh, to do what they were going to do on the, on the cell. And that's what they, you know, that's the same observation that led to bad, you know, a, a bad equipment and a bad, you know, uh, methodology being used for Owen.
0: Did Sting ever comment on this? Yep. Um, so Sting uh, also heard about this, was about to go uh, do their own, own uh setup, canceled his own rigging because he was like first of all there's two reasons why we are not doing this stunt again he's like one it's incredibly disrespectful and two uh i don't feel comfortable obviously with mm-hmm. this happening his wife was like you're never like you're not fucking do that again
2: mm-hmm. and he
0: also shares to tell the scariest time sting ever did it the first time he did it they noticed seconds before he went down uh that everything that things were on backwards And, like, would have, according to, I mean, like, this is a story that he's told many years later or whatever, so, like, it does seem a little crazy that, like, we didn't talk about this more while it was happening or whatever, but Mm -hmm. Sting says that the first time he ever did it, um, you know, he had kind of, like, a hand control repelling thing, um, and he was spinning a lot because he was nervous, so he wasn't, like, doing it releasing it very quickly Um, and they didn't have time to practice it again before and all of this stuff. And when he got up there, he said the scariest time was the first time that it was almost all backwards. And they like just caught it before they were like, Oh wait, that's backwards. You know, like just before he went down, Jesus Christ. That's the thing. It's like, but there before the grace, Um, Mm -hmm. I just think to, you know, uh, bring this sort of full circle, how this ends and where we're at and sort of final thoughts, the, you know, Martha, his wife, Uh, is very uh, upset with this, upset with how every decision WF made from the equipment to the rigor to going on with the show to doing the tribute episode even, like everything about it, Um, and has caused a lot of division between um, Owen's wife and kids and the greater Hart family uh, about how to maintain Owen's legacy because they make it very difficult for the WWE E now to continue honoring Owen so Owen's not in the Hall of Fame he's not in the Mm -hmm. video games things like that while other um, legends are Um, and you know his wife has said that she'll never allow it uh, that she doesn't want them making any more money than they already can off of any of his likenesses or anything Um, so they may but even Brett says he wishes he'd be in the Hall of Fame and things like that to honor sort of his contribution to the sport um, entertainment uh, so, I uh, this ends with obviously a lawsuit, which even divided the Hart family even further because of this sort of like blame and, and what they're after in the end result. Um, and, you know and
1: the Hart family's reliance on the wrestling industry, which sure. Man basically controls at this point.
0: And, and also, as we know, a third generation coming in that's going to want to uh, get into the business. So, uh, there's a lot at play. Uh, but Martha ends up, they end up uh, settling. Uh, and the, the rumored amount, I believe, is $18 million that that uh, Owens' family gets. They launch a nonprofit in his name, uh, do a lot of work there. His son seems—both of his kids seem incredibly well-adjusted. Um, one's a journal; the, His daughter, Athena, is a journalist, and his son is a lawyer. Um, and they work on this um, nonprofit with their mother to keep uh, their father's legacy alive, but focused on charity work and not wrestling. By the way, my, um,
2: my theory is that Oge Oge Hart stands for Owen Jr. Does that sound right?
0: Oh, I don't know, but that's very cute. I didn't know. <laughs> I don't know, actually.
2: <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people I've been like, in my life, you, you hear about people who are called like DJ or Deej or whatever, and you wind up learning like, oh, the J is just because they're like, they're a junior and they just have different ways of, of doing it. So that's what, that's my, my theory.
1: And yeah, at, at least Owens' legacy does get to be carried on through his children
0: and through this this charitable work that's happening at the same time. Okay, but I guess I would love—I just love as like a final thought from each of you of like I don't know—do uh, you think that he should be added? Yeah, are you like you know? Would you like to see him added to this, and and what that means for his legacy?
1: I would love to see him in the Hall of Fame, but it's not something that like again I I want whatever his family wants and and by family i mean i I, those closest to him his immediate family i think that their wishes need to be respected
2: um yeah basically i that's i feel the same way i think i think what this points to as a as a greater issue is the fact that wwe um controls too much of the history of wwe Mm -hmm. and if there was a wrestling hall of fame that was not maintained by wwe we could have owen hart in there if that makes sense um but because all of this is tied into the business of wwe it becomes like well look you can you can honor him but if you're gonna honor him we're gonna you know, sorry, we're gonna get to keep exploiting him, and we're gonna Whereas we're gonna would, put brand yeah. new Owen Hart T-shirt designs
1: in WWEshop.com. Yeah, of that, yeah, yeah. This one wasn't fun, um, and and the next one probably isn't gonna be too much fun either. But in the meantime, love us, disagree, let us know. Email us at cellphone at gmail dot com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at hellinacellpod. Or tweet at us individually, Eric at Prime Silver, Bobby at Bobby Hank, and Aaron at Slow Pass. Our theme song is There Are Traders in Our Myths by Disco Vietnam, and our artist by Alexis Yavni. Find links to both in our episode notes. Please write and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be back again for over the end.